0: The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. All right, so today we're going to be uh, finishing up the 18th chapter of the book of Acts. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Acts 18, and uh, we're going to be beginning in verse 12, going to the end of the chapter. You know, I I haven't had the benefit of really sharing, and and I won't, there's too many, it would take too long, all the details and things that, little things that happen that can distract you. You know, it's so easy to get distracted by your circumstances. Uh, And what I I mean by that is, and listen carefully to, to what I'm about to say, it's far easier to walk by sight instead of walking by faith. The only problem with that is that's completely opposite of what the Bible says we're supposed to do, right? Jesus says to walk by faith, not by sight, and yet it's so much easier to walk. try to walk by sight. Now, you you can't really, but it's it's a lot easier. So the, the follower of Christ is supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. So can you think of any examples in Scripture that might demonstrate that principle? The first one that came to my mind, I was thinking about this whole idea. Peter in the boat, Jesus walking on the water. Do you remember the story? Jesus comes walking on the water and the, um, the disciples are in disbelief and they look out and they think it's a ghost. And so Peter says, all right, Jesus, if it's really you, then tell me to come out there with you. You know, Peter's always speak before you think, that type of guy. And Jesus says, all right, come on. And what happened? Do you remember? He steps out of the boat, and he starts walking, and he, Peter is walking on water headed toward Jesus, right? And he gets a little ways out there, and you remember what happens? He start, he, he looks around, sees the waves and the, and the wind and everything, and what happens? He starts sinking, right? Why did he start sinking? This is, this is almost too easy for me. I mean, I don't even have to write it. He took his eyes off Jesus. It's that simple. So, when he looked around at his circumstances and he got distracted by what was happening around him and then he started to doubt and he took his eyes off of Jesus. Jesus was the one who told him to come out there to begin with. He's not going to just let him drown. But that... that, thought just escaped him at that moment and he started sinking and then he got scared right like he was not scared to step out of the boat onto the raging sea he got scared and he he cried out Lord save me why did he need saving he took his eyes off Jesus I mean this you see why scripture is so important and so helpful And true, because I didn't have to come up with some illustration to try to show us why this is a good idea or beneficial to have faith in God, trust God, instead of be distracted and fearful of our circumstances. It's right there in Scripture. Jesus knew we would all at some point have an encounter in our lives that would cause us doubt and be distracted and become fearful and cry out. So he dealt with that preemptively for the rest of time by demonstrating it through Peter. He told Peter to come out on the water. Peter came out on the water. Everything was fine as long as he focused on Jesus. And that really is Uh, central to our understanding, I believe, of this passage of Scripture, confronting the culture with the gospel, this time in Ephesus. And we'll even continue on into chapter 19 next week uh, in that same location. And, And although we may not be walking on water, our lives are much the same as Peter's. We have got to keep our eyes on Jesus and trust Him with our circumstances. So let's read this passage. Uh, Acts 18, we'll read from verse 12 down to verse 28. Here's what the Bible says. But while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or of vicious crime, O oh Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourselves. I'm unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. And they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren, put out to sea for Syria, and with him were Priscilla and Aquila. And in Sincrea he had his hair cut, for he had been keeping a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, but taking leave of them and saying... "'I will return to you again, if God wills,' he set sail from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. And having spent some time there, he left and passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now, a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures." This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I I just pray you will speak to us today. Speak to us clearly. I feel so inadequate for this moment. And ultimately, I am. And so, Lord, I pray that we'll hear from you, that you'll uh, give us clarity in your word. It's, it's yours. You have inspired it. You've given it to us. We know it to be truth with no error at all. And so, Lord, it's, it's profitable for us to study your word and to be changed by it. So, God, I pray you'll do that through your spirit today. And uh, don't let me mess it up. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, this passage of Scripture, we've seen the past two weeks, three different uh, locations with a similar theme, confronting the culture with the Gospel. We went from Athens to Corinth, now to Ephesus, and Paul is concluding his second missionary journey, and you know he's uh, encountered quite a bit of opposition. He uh, preached his uh, kind of a, a... a lesson on contextualization in Athens when he saw all the idols and he pointed out oh this one's got uh, an unknown god well let me introduce you to him and so he preached the gospel on Mars Hill and in the in the uh, Areopagus and and people were just astounded the way he was able to explain the scriptures and then he moved on to Corinth where he encountered quite a bit of opposition and if you remember last week at the end of Uh, the passage we looked at, the first portion of chapter 18, you remember in verses 9 and 10, Jesus came to Paul in a vision to encourage him because he had encountered so much opposition. And if you look with me just in verse 9 and 10, you remember what the Lord said to Paul? Don't be afraid. Go on speaking and don't be silent. And then verse 10 he said, I'm with you. No man will attack you in order to harm you for I have many people in this city. It was a promise that there were still many people yet to be saved by the gospel. So keep talking. I'm going to protect you. Don't worry. Be encouraged. Be confident. In other words, trust me. Trust me. That's what Jesus said. Trust me. And so today we get to verse 12 through the uh, end of chapter 18. And here's uh, three things that I've identified here I think they kind of explain this passage, this storyline that we've just read. Number one, trust God to fulfill His promises. Trust God to fulfill His promises, and the promise He made specifically in this context is found in verses nine and ten. What I just read to you about uh, Paul being uh, receiving the vision at night from the Lord, saying, "Just don't be afraid, keep speaking." I got you covered. There's more people going to get saved, so you have a job to do. So he he was encouraged by that. I mean, when Jesus comes and speaks to you in a vision, that tends to be encouraging. And so Paul, in verse 11, we read last week the way it ended, he settled in Corinth for 18 months. So then here's the opposition that he encountered before he went to Ephesus. If you look at verse 12, uh, it talks about who was in charge, Gallio and Achaia was the whole region where Corinth was located, it says the Jews rose up against Paul, brought him before the judgment seat. Now, now what, I, what this is showing us, this is why I want you to pay real close attention to this part of the story. And the reason why I had to remind us about the promise last week is because of what's happening right here. If you look through verse 12 down to verse 16, the main part of this first paragraph Do you see anywhere in there where Paul had to say a word? There's a key phrase right here. Look at verse 14. It says, but when Paul was about to open his mouth. He didn't say anything. He was about to. He had his whole speech probably prepared. And he was going to meet these charges. And you know, he's a smart guy. So he was probably going to defend himself very well. But he didn't have to. It says the Jews in one accord rose up against him, dragged him up to the judgment seat. And when he was about to say something, the man in charge dismissed everything. You see what just happened? Hadn't Jesus just promised him, hey, nobody's going to lay a hand on you to hurt you. You just keep talking. I am going to be with you, is what he said. Don't be afraid. You keep speaking. I'm with you. So Paul didn't even have to say a word. God used the leadership. Now, whether they were uh, sympathetic to the gospel or not doesn't matter. The point is, God used him, used this guy, the the man who was in charge, Gallio, used him to protect Paul. So God... Keeps his promises. Trust God to fulfill his promises because before Paul could say a word in his defense, the charges were dismissed. And how did the Jews respond to that? Look at verse 17. They took the guy who was in charge of the synagogue and beat him up. And they did it right in front of the judgment seat to demonstrate, hey, you're not going to side with us. We're going to beat up the guy who let it happen. Now, interesting thing about Sosthenes, that name, okay, if you remember last week, you remember who got saved when Paul shook the dust from his garments and went next door to the synagogue? The, a guy named Crispus got saved. You, re, you can just glance back if you want to. this verse 8 of the same chapter. It says Crispus, the leader of the synagogue. Isn't that interesting? Because here it says in verse 17, they took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue. So Crispus got saved and went to be with Paul, and so they had to get a new leader of the synagogue. Isn't that interesting? Somebody had to be the successor to the last guy because he got saved. So then they beat him up because Paul was still having uh, success sharing the gospel, and the Jews didn't like that. But here's the thing. God's going to fulfill his promises. And, and I will tell you this. If, if you go back... Now, now remember uh, what city this is in before they go to Ephesus? There, this is in Corinth, as in... 1st and 2nd Corinthians in the Bible so if you go to the book of 1st Corinthians and you read in there there's actually a warning in there that two Christians ought not to be settling their disputes by taking them to a secular court one Christian ought not to sue another Christian because what does a secular court have to say about spiritual matters two Christians ought to be able to work it out right? doesn't that make sense two Christians ought to be able to work it out if they're both seeking God's Direction, And so that's interesting how Paul would say that in his letter to this church in Corinth when he's the one that got drugged in front of the court by the Jews. So that's just another little side note there. And and by the way, it would be fun and uh, helpful if you want to go back, especially at this point, and just kind of skim through 1 Corinthians. Because here's what you're going to find. You're going to start to see some names that we're seeing right here. You're going to see... Uh, Apollos. You're going to see Sosthenes. You're going to see Priscilla and Aquila. And and Paul's going to write about them back to the church about this instance right here. So there's connection uh, between what Paul's doing here and then when he wrote back to the Corinthian church. So number one, trust God to fulfill his promises. Number two, trust God to sustain his disciples. Trust God to sustain his disciples. So in verse 18, it says Paul stayed many days longer. This is over and above the 18 months where verse 11 told us he settled there in Corinth after he got that vision from God. So he stayed many days longer, but then he decided to leave Corinth with Priscilla and Aquila, and that's when he sailed towards Syria to the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus at this time was like the greatest center of commerce in that region. I mean, it was a a major, major city. Okay? So that's where they went. And then Priscilla and Aquila were going to stay there much longer. Paul was kind of passing through at this point, although he would come back, as we'll see in the next week or two. But what's the first thing Paul did when he got to Ephesus? The Bible says he went to the synagogue. So if you look at verse uh, 19, when they got to Ephesus... He left Priscilla and Aquila there and he himself went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So everywhere he goes as he's finishing up this second missionary journey, what's he do every time? He goes to the center of religious thought and teaching, Jewish, and he preaches the gospel. So he confronts the culture. He doesn't stand kind of in an out-of-the-way place. He doesn't make himself hidden he doesn't uh, preach in a place that is inconspicuous. He goes straight to the, to the uh, capital, the main place of gathering for religious thought, the synagogue, and that's where he preaches. He's not hiding from anybody. And he's probably now emboldened even more after that vision he got from the Lord that said, hey, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. You just keep talking. There are many more people who are going to believe. And so you keep doing what you're doing. I've called you to do it, and I'm going to be with you, and I will protect you. So he goes to the synagogue. He's reasoning with the Jews who were there, and they asked him to stay longer. Get that. He's getting a good response. But he declines. He says, if it's God's will, I'll come back. So he's trusting God's direction. But here's why he's leaving. Look what happens all the way down to verse 23. What does Paul do when he leaves Ephesus? And this is the part uh, about sustaining his disciples. Trust God to sustain his disciples. Paul leaves Ephesus, and look where he goes. says, uh, he set sail, verse 21, from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, now, now this is, this is uh, subtle, but, but here it is. The Bible says, he went up and greeted the church. Do so you know where that is? In, in this region, you know what it means when people say he went up. Where is he going? Jerusalem, because Jerusalem's elevated. The the church in Jerusalem's like home base for Christianity. So he went up to the church in Jerusalem, and it says he greeted the church. So we can assume here or presume here from this verse he has gone. He landed at Caesarea. He went to Jerusalem. He went to see the church in Jerusalem, and it says he went up, greeted the church, and then the opposite there, and then went down to Antioch. So Antioch is where this whole thing started. That's where the believers were first called Christians. That's where Paul and Silas and then Paul and Barnabas had been commissioned for missionary service. That was kind of their sending point. And so he went back there. And he didn't just stay there. But but I want you to see his, his pathway because God is not just using him to preach the gospel in new places he's also using him to go back to the places he's been for encouragement and discipleship. So he leaves Ephesus back to Caesarea, back to Jerusalem, back to Antioch, and then look at what it says in verse 23. Having spent some time there, he left and passed successively through the Galatian region. So all those cities where he had gone, derby Lystra, all those places where he had gone on his first journey, he's going back through. And he's checking on people. He's seeing how they're growing in the gospel. He's making sure that they haven't lost hope, they haven't uh, diverged from their uh, orthodox teaching that he left them. He's checking on the believers and helping them grow. And God's using him to do that. So that's why he said before when, when he left Ephesus and they wanted him to stay, but he said, I've got to go here, here, and here, and here, but-, but I'll come back if it's God's will because he's following God's direction. He- he's not just sitting down and planning it out himself. Okay, that's important to remember. This is not Paul's idea. He- he's going where God leads him to go. And it's been that way all the way a- along. You, you remember a-, a few weeks back when uh, they got the Macedonian vision. You know, Before that... They wanted to go a couple different places. It says in Scripture specifically, but the Spirit did not allow them. So they were so sensitive to God's leadership as far as where they went with the gospel, they knew, all right, well, we want to go there, but maybe maybe that's not God's timing yet. It's not that those people don't also need the gospel. Maybe it's just not yet. And then... He sees the vision of the the man from Macedonia saying, please come over and help us. Then they conclude, okay, God wants us to go there. And that's where they go. The the point is, Paul is not designing this mission trip. God is. And they're following. him. And that's really a a word for the church. It's not that everybody doesn't need the gospel because they do. But... There's a time and a place, right? There, there's, a, a, there's a good and there's a best. And sometimes we sacrifice best on the altar of good. Does that make sense? That was good. That was good. Y'all, y'all might want to That was pretty good. If, if, if we don't seek what God wants us to do, then we could conceivably do something that's not bad, but it just may not be the best thing God wants us to do. So, so we have to be... Look... There's a reason why the vision for God's church is bound up in Scripture, reading, and prayer. There's a reason why uh, I'm trying to encourage us all and have been all year. Read the Bible every day. Every day. We're, we're, you know, we've only got 32 days left in this calendar year. You know what that means? That means that we should have already, this year, read the Bible 333 days. We should have. Do you, do you typically go a day without eating? I don't. Can I get a witness? <laughs> I don't go half a day without eating. Here, here's the point. How do you expect to be spiritually healthy if you're starving yourself? Y'all you all right? It's the same thing. you got to eat to live. you got to read the Bible to live spiritually. You've got to talk to the author. You've got to pray. If, if we're not spending time reading the Word and praying, then here's what we're doing. We're basically screaming at God. I got this. I don't need your help. And that's foolish. That's fool- there, there's not a one of us that don't need God. That, that, that's, that, would, be, that would be the height of foolishness, recklessness even, to, to try to navigate through life without Jesus and His Word. That's craziness. And, and it's unsafe. So... If we want to be sensitive to God's leading His direction, we need to be in the Word. We need to be spending time in prayer. And I'm preaching to to me, first of all. We we have got to spend time uh, intentionally in the Word. We can trust God to fulfill His promises. Trust God to sustain His disciples. Finally, uh, number three. Trust God to empower His witness. And this is what I mean by that. Um, it doesn't have to be Paul. Paul is, is um, he has been used greatly by God to take the gospel all over the place, no doubt. But it doesn't have to be Paul. There's other people who can share the gospel. Okay, and Paul, you've seen Paul and Silas, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Barnabas, John Mark was there for a while. Now you see Priscilla and Aquila, two Jews who had come from Rome, had to leave because of the emperor telling all the Jews to leave. And he met up with them in uh, Corinth. And then now you see Apollos. So so look at verse 24. A Jew named Apollos. Now look at the uh, description of this brother. He's an Alexandrian by birth. He was an eloquent speaker who was mighty in the Scriptures, the Bible says. Mighty in the scriptures there, verse 24. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in spirit, and because of that he was sharing the gospel, the Bible says, with great accuracy. There was just one little chink in the armor. It says here uh, in verse uh, 25, he was acquainted only with the baptism of John. So John the Baptist, you remember, was the forerunner of jesus as messiah and john was very clear that he was not the one he was pointing to the one he was preparing the way for the messiah and so he was baptizing for uh, repentance turn from your sinful ways prepare for the coming of the lord that was his message and then when jesus shows up on the scene do you remember what john did he went to great lengths to uh, divert the attention away from himself to to Jesus. He said, I'm I'm not him. I'm I'm preparing the way for him. He says, you must all follow him now. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's Jesus, it's not John. So, Apollos, although he knew the gospel and was proclaiming it accurately, the Bible says, he had been instructed, but he had only become acquainted with the baptism of John, which means repentance of sin, but not the baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So there was a little bit of deficiency. That's maybe a a good way to put it. So, uh, in fact, uh, David Peterson, who's a a really, really good commentator on this, he said, uh, the fact that Apollos was a learned man from Alexandria with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures meant that he had the potential to be an influential teacher of the faith. So he was very intelligent, very well-spoken, so he had a lot of potential uh, to be an influencer for the gospel, which was was really good. So it says here that Apollos was speaking out boldly in the synagogue in Ephesus. So you see how God has empowered a new witness, not just Paul, not just Priscilla and Aquila. This guy named Apollos, another Jew, which is helpful because who would be better positioned to preach the gospel to a Jewish audience than a converted Jew who already knew the background, already knew the potential hurdles that they would have to overcome in order to embrace the gospel, right? That makes sense? Uh, You know who... Alright, let's put it in our terms. You know who uh, is a powerful witness to the Mormon uh, or Jehovah Witness communities? Former Mormons. Say, or, or former Jehovah folks who have come out of those uh, cult traditions and embraced the gospel of Jesus from a biblical perspective and then now, who better to go back into those communities and be able to Uh, more uh, faithfully defend against those um, variances in belief, right? Because they're familiar. So Apollos is smart, he's a good speaker, and he's a Jew, so he is really well positioned to be influential for the gospel. And it says he's speaking out boldly in the synagogue in verse 26. But look what happens. It says Priscilla and Aquila, who are faithful Christians, partners with Paul... They listen to what Apollos was teaching and they notice, hey, all right, so there's, he's, he's kind of, he's got the facts right, but he's coming from a um, perspective of John the Baptist, baptism for repentance It's not, not complete. There, there's one thing lacking. So look what it says they do. They pull him aside. They pull him aside. It says they heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. More accurately. So what they did was, Peterson says this, he says, boldness boldness coupled with an inadequate grasp of the way of the Lord is dangerous. A gifted speaker, please listen to this. This This is so appropriate for our culture right now. Please listen. A gifted speaker can convince people to follow his own interpretation of things. Christian leaders who fall into this trap need to be challenged and guided for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of those who may be misled. You know, there are plenty of very eloquent speakers but that in itself is not a biblical credential. Does that make sense? Just because you are very smooth in your speech doesn't make you right. This right here makes you right. Okay? So if it, if it is consistent, if your message is consistent in harmony with what God says, that's right doesn't matter if you say it pretty or not. Okay? So the most eloquent speaker can still be wrong. But they can also easily convince someone that they're right just because they're good at speaking. Okay? So what we need to do is we need to be critical. We need to be good uh, Bereans, remember? We need to be good Bereans. Test that these things are... Compare them with the Scripture that these things are so... Let's, let's you know study, let's compare. With, and I hope, good gracious, I hope you're doing that with me. I hope you've got an open Bible. I hope you're not just saying, well, he's the preacher. Surely he wouldn't lie to us. Really? I mean, not on purpose. But I, ask my wife. I mess up plenty. Okay? I am an imperfect sinner just like everybody else. I am in desperate need of the grace of God. So, I'm not going to try to lead you astray. I'm going to do my very, very best under the power of the Holy Spirit of God to always preach and teach exactly what the Bible says. That's my goal. Every time. But I'm not above messing up. Open your Bible. Keep it open. Make sure that what I say matches what God says. Because I'm only right if that's the truth. Does that make sense? I'm only right if what I say matches what God says. That's the end of it. So uh, look at how they handled this potential error. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce said that uh, Priscilla and Aquila's procedure was so admirable. It says how much better it is to give private help to a teacher whose understanding of his subject is deficient rather than correct or denounce him publicly. Now, that's a word for us today, okay? Okay? What, what happens in the culture? Especially, look, you know what, Christians, I, I don't know if y'all have seen this or observed it, uh, in the Christian community, uh, maybe it's just Southern Baptist world, or, or maybe it's just Christianity in general, we can be real good at shooting our own wounded. If somebody messes up, if somebody says something that's not exactly right, who are the first ones to jump on them and say, "Yeah, that was terrible"? It's it's the other Christians. Instead of that's, let's talk about that. You know, let's come over here in private and and let's just talk. I'm I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna get on social media and fire off a, a post real quick and and just uh, insult you and denounce everything you ever did because that never happens, right? People never just take to Facebook or Twitter and just burn somebody up without knowing all the facts. That never happens. They took him aside. Private help. And by the way, that's biblical. Matthew 18, if a brother sins against you, go to him one-on-one. Apollos wanted to go to Corinth to Achaia to preach the gospel after this correction after Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and helped him it says they explained to him the way of God more accurately verse 27 says he wanted to go across to Achaia by the way that's Corinth that's where they, Paul and him had just come from he wanted to go so, so what was the response of the leaders of that group of believers right there it, it's beautiful look at verse 27 it says the brethren encouraged him they hey you're doing good you are, you are preaching the gospel with boldness and with accuracy. You're doing great. Uh, go. Share the gospel. And they even wrote him a letter. They gave him a reference letter so he could give it to the church in Corinth and, and it would be signed by Priscilla and Aquila which means it would carry some weight and they would say, okay, well, they're vouching for this guy. He must be good. And that's exactly what happened because the Bible says... When they did that, they encouraged him, gave him the letter to give to the church in Corinth. Then it says, look look at what the Bible says. This This is great. In verse 27, when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. So in that one little half a verse, two things. He was immediately helpful to the believers. And Luke throws in just a little reminder. Oh, by the way, don't forget You're saved by grace through faith. Look at that, verse 27. Those who had believed through grace. Don't forget what Paul would write back to the church in this very city, not Corinth, but Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You remember? Does that ring a bell? It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works, lest any man should boast. That's how we're saved. God does it. Praise the Lord, God does it. So he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Immediately helpful to these believers. He powerfully, look what he did, verse 28. He powerfully refuted the Jews in public. So this was for everybody to hear and see. when He's, he's battling, debating against the Jews and the Jewish teachers, the ones who were promoting Judaism which by the way denies Jesus as the Messiah so look what look what old Apollos was doing says he powerfully refuted the Jews in public demonstrating now here's the biggest piece of this by the scriptures see that verse 28 demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ So, so here's what old Apollos did he was so smart and could speak so well he just took the Old Testament scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, and he proved that Jesus was a Messiah. And, and, and to a Jewish audience, from a Jewish now Christian, that's powerful. What, what do you, when 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 he's holding it's like uh, when he's holding your book, he's using your own scriptures that you trust, and he's saying, "Oh, did you see that right there? How about that right there? How about this?" and went on and on and on, demonstrating, proving by the Scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. That is a powerful statement when a Jew will take the Old Testament Scriptures and show other Jews Jesus is the one you're looking for. That's beautiful. And by the way, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take... We got both of them now. We got Old Testament and New Testament. (laughs) And we're supposed to take this and demonstrate Jesus is the Messiah. That's who we're looking for. Jesus is the one we're looking for. So what does this all have to do? See, F.F. Bruce said that Apollos proved himself to be a tower of strength to the believers in Corinth by his teaching in the church and by his preaching to those outside, especially to the Jews in Corinth. He argued cogently refuting all counter-arguments that the Messiah of whom the Scripture spoke must be identified with Jesus of Nazareth. That word must be. There's no other option. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Messiah. That's the end of the story. And the Bible says so. That's what Apollos did for these believers. So what, what do we take from that? How do we apply this to our lives? The three things that I pointed out in this passage was uh, to trust God to fulfill His promises, trust God to sustain His disciples, and trust God to empower His witnesses. And that's really what He's done, especially through Apollos. So what we can do to apply this to our own hearts, our own lives, in every circumstance, at all times, doesn't matter, uh, regardless of how difficult it may be, here is one truth. God can be trusted. Amen. Every time, all the time, no matter what. God can be trusted. So our charge is to walk by faith, not by sight. And the good thing about that is our faith is not blind. A lot of times people will poke at Christians and say, Oh, you just, you just rely on faith. You don't have no facts to back it up. Really? Really? You want to go down that road? How long you got? Really? I mean, really, how long do you have for me to list out all the facts that are the foundation of my faith? Because I tell you this, my faith is not just blind. My faith in Jesus Christ is not blind. It's backed up by an eternity of instances where God has already demonstrated His faithfulness. He does it over and over over and over again he has never lied he has never failed and he never will trust him let's pray thank you for listening to this message from God's word for more information on Berlin Baptist Church we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org